welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Ross, Perday Malampati here with you. And man, it was a busy weekend. Uh, a lot of things going on across the, the, the landscape of sports. But really for Baylor Athletics, you had a lot going on, in particular on Saturday on campus, man. You had softball, who was hosting Texas Tech in town. You had the Michael Johnson relays. And then if that wasn't enough, you had spring football going on on the banks of the Brazos. And I know you're, you're up there in New York. I know you didn't have an opportunity to come through. What were your thoughts on it? How, how did you watch spring day, spring day, the spring game? Yeah, I I'm up here in New York, but I did I actually bought ESPN Plus just so that I could watch the spring game. There you go. And honestly, it, it, it was worth it. It's not too expensive. It's like seven dollars a month, so it's, it's fine. But it, it was fun. Um, yeah, no, like I think it was it was a great game to watch. Uh, most of the players played pretty well. Definitely a number of takeaways, though. What would be your number one? You know, I, I mean. I was really impressed coming into this game with Monterey Baldwin. Just the work I've seen him put in in the small sample sizes of practices that we get to view each week. And, you know, I think last year he showed when he had his opportunity that he could be one of the most explosive players, not only in the conference, but in the nation. Uh, you know, as a, he was young. I mean, he was doing things as a, as a freshman last year with flashes. Now he's had a full off season, and he really showed that, he is he can take over a game. Like like he is one of those players, dude, that all it needs is one crease and he could completely, you know, change the whole dynamic of a game. If you're down, he can get you a, a, a touchdown quick. I was really impressed from him. Um I think we really wanted to know what to expect from the receiving core. Uh, and I thought, Monterey, you know, we talked the other day. I said I felt like Monterey Baldwin was going to be a big part of that heading into the season. I would have liked to seen a little more from Armani Winfield. I do understand with him being so young, technically still could be in high school right now, uh, that that's going to be something to to work in progress. But Javion Gibson, man, I, I really liked what I saw from Gibson yesterday. And I, I think when you look at him and Monterey Baldwin, they, to me, solidified themselves yesterday as the top two receivers for this team heading into next season. Yeah, you've been high on... Monterey Baldwin for a while, um, and it, it played out yesterday. He played really well. He had that 50-yard touchdown catch, showed his speed. And I, I probably agree. I think that Baldwin and Gibson are the top two receivers. Um, but bigger picture, I, I'm i very comfortable with the skill positions now. Like I'm comfortable with the running backs, and I'm comfortable with the wide receivers. Also, Josh Cameron, he had a, he had a great game he yesterday. He balled out. He had, he had a couple drops, but – he also showed that he has hands, and he's a redshirt freshman walk-on at that. So, obviously, he's still he's still getting used to playing college football. I think he'll be a big contributor this season based on what we saw at the spring game. And then running back-wise, Tay McWilliams got the brunt of the carries, but Squirrel Williams, he showed that explosiveness. He, he showed that he's that guy that can make those explosive plays if he, if he can just stay on the field. That's the thing, man. I, I was I was so excited to see Squirrel finally break loose. Like we knew what his potential was, but it's like every year there's something. There's an injury here or or whatever reason. And you know, if you can have him on the field and staying healthy, I, I think that he can kind of bring that kind of in a similar way to what um we see at K State. 
you know, when they use their offense and um, why am I drawing Blake on the K-State running back? I'm, Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn. I think you can see a lot of uh, the similarities there. I mean, just the breakaway speed, uh, the shiftiness, ability to catch out of the backfield. When he's on, when Squirrel is on, man, he, is, he could really change the, the, the pace and everything of this offense. Yeah, he really can. He can be probably a lesser version of Deuce Vaughn. And the nice thing is that Tate McWilliams is there to take the, the brunt of the carries. So Squirrel Williams can take – he can be used a little bit less, which will make it more likely that he stays healthy. And McWilliams, I, what I saw was that he can he can take that Abram Smith role. He, can, he followed that offensive line, took the four- to five-yard gains when they were there, which is all this offense really needs, honestly, from that position. Yeah, I, I was really impressed too. I was I wanted to see what Jordan Jenkins could do. Like I know he's still young, uh, but I feel like he's really the 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 vocal back, the the future back that they want to implement in that offense. Really, from a physical standpoint, kind of like you're talking about with replacing Abram Smith. I feel like Jordan Jenkins is that guy. Uh, you know, and that's t- definitely going to take a year or two. But I, I liked what I saw from him yesterday. He's very physical, uh, downhill runner. They even used him a little bit in some option situations. I feel like one of the things he needs to work on is speed. I would like to see him be a little bit faster once you break the crease of the line of scrimmage to get loose. But he's definitely a physical uh, running back. And I, w- I like the small sample size that we got to see from Jenkins. What about you? I liked it too. He showed that physicality. And what made it more even more impressive was that he was playing against those starters on the defensive line. Like, whereas Tate McWilliams and Squirrel Williams was, were playing against the, the backup D linemen, Jordan Jenkins did his thing against the, the, the big boys. What was your impressions? Like, we knew coming into this that Baylor's strength of their team were really going to be in the trenches, whether it's offensive line, defensive line, regardless. It's going to be in the middle. Um, I knew that the offensive line was good. I knew that all the experience, right, and everything you're bringing in, they're finally really clicking on all cylinders when it comes to understanding the the techniques and the philosophies of the wide zone blocking scheme. But the defensive line, I was expecting to see a little more from them. And I I know we were talking earlier, um, and you brought up a good point about how they did good on some stopping the run. Their run attack was really strong up front. But for me – I was concerned by the lack of pressure. Like, I figured somebody, maybe Aka, Apu, or, I mean, even I really was looking for TJ Franklin to to burst through and show me something, like a big spark coming in. And I really didn't see that. Um, Are you concerned at all about the lack of pressure or push that we saw regarding the defensive line? I'm not concerned. Most of these guys are coming back from last year. And they played really well last year, had a tremendous season. Um, and they stopped the run really well yesterday, so that was the big thing for me. As long as they can stop the run, I think there's the guys on the defensive line that will be able to get pressure. And it's possible that not being able to actually tackle the quarterback played a factor. Maybe they were playing a little, a little more tight, maybe a little more safe, trying to rush the passer. I mean, don't take that – like. Not sure about that, but it's very possible. Yeah, and I feel like one of the bigger, another one of the big question marks coming into yesterday or coming into Saturday was the secondary. Like you lost so much out of the back end. You have some new guys there, some some guys like Walcott who have seen the action before. But I feel like they weren't really pushed enough in a passing perspective. Like they really didn't get too many long balls thrown at them. 
to really have a strong sample size of what to expect. Uh, I mean, am I off on that? What, what was your perception of the the, the secondary? Um, I have two takeaways. One is an individual thing. I think that Lorando Johnson played really well. He was around the ball the entire time. He was good in stopping the. He was good at stopping the run. He was good at defending the pass. There was one where he almost had an interception, and it got away from him. But he looked a little bit like Jalen Feature, who's who he's replacing at the star position. As a group, I I think there's a bit of work to do. They got beat by, they got beat on that deep ball. Um, when C.J. Rogers threw the 72-yard touchdown, I think. Um, and they also weren't able to keep Kyron, Kyron Drones inside the lines when he got away, when he got through the linebackers. They, they need to do better at stopping those rushing quarterbacks. That's a really good point, and that was something I noticed as well. And let's do that. Let's dive into the quarterback battle because that's the biggest question mark coming out of spring. Uh, you know, Coach Aranda said when spring practices started that he wanted to come out of here with a decision as who's going to be their starter. He stuck with that yesterday after speaking to the media. We're going to dive into the quarterback battle next here on the Bears Illustrated Podcast. to the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Fernay here with you. And let's dive into this quarterback battle, man. I, I know coming into this, I felt like it was really Gary Bohannon's to lose. Um, obviously, he got them in position last year to be as successful as they were. Unfortunately, the injuries kind of derailed things at the end of the season, which opened the door for Blake Shapin. Um, I, I think it was. I, it's great to know that you have a quarterback like Shapin who could step up and fill the void, right? Like he, he was able to step up and play key parts in the Big 12 championship as well as the, the Sugar Bowl championship. But unfortunately, what that does is automatically bring up the controversy. You're heading into the next season. Both guys showed what they could do on big stages, and they both proved to be successful. Now who's going to get the nod? Um, what were your overall impressions yesterday as far as let's start with Shapin and Bohannon because we know more than likely one of those guys are going to be the starters. We'll work our way to the younger cats, but what was your overall impression of Gary Bohannon versus Blake Shapin essentially yesterday on Saturday? It's going to be one of those two guys, and after this game, it has to be Blake Shapin. Blake Shapin was just—he was just simply better on Saturday. And the two most important qualities in the quarterback are decision-making and accuracy. Um, Blake Shapin showed good decision-making. And he also showed that he's a more accurate quarterback than Jerry Bohannon. He was, it, it was very windy, which certainly affected how the quarterbacks played, but that's where Blake Shapin's arm strength played in. He was able to throw those balls through the wind and, and still make them accurate passes, whereas Jerry Bohannon struggled a lot with that. And it's not going to be 70 and sunny every Saturday from September to December. So playing in adverse conditions is something important. Yeah, I was like Shapin has the arm for that. And, you know, and we we talked a little bit, you know, about how Bohannon's arm strength was during pro day. Um, you know, and I was kind of apprehensive of, well, you're indoors. Nobody's coming at you how can we really judge it? You know, and that that's just something you never know until you're in live action. I mean, that just is what it is. Uh, And you bring up a good point with the wind conditions. And I wanted to see early on, 
um, Bohannon or Shapin stretch the field. I wanted to see you test your secondary. Um, Because, and, and, look, if you can throw it deep, you need to be able to, to try those guys and, and see, you know, like make them work for it. And we never really saw that. And I'm, that was one of the things I, I made a comment on Twitter about that I really wasn't uh, impressed by. They didn't take those chances, you know. And, and then you come out and you see. Well, Shaper took a couple. He did, but not at first. And I, I had somebody on Twitter was like, well, the win must be a condition. You know, it's a factor here. And I'm like, all right, cool. I respect that. Then C.J. Rogers steps out and his first throw is a bomb, 75 yards. I'm like, okay, the wind isn't a problem here, you know. So, but you're right. Shapin did start show, throwing the ball deep a little bit. I went back and looked at the numbers. Uh, Gary Bohannon had 14 pass attempts. Uh, Blake Shapin had 15. Uh, it, Gary had 29 total snaps to Blake Shapin's 22. But to me, the the startling thing was the accuracy um Blake Shapin was he made a couple like there was a pass he threw where he underthrew I believe it was Dabney that could have should have been a touchdown um you know that's something you don't want to see but that's something you yeah. can fix he came back and he he worked on that Gary Bohannon it, it, it's it's hard to say but out of all four quarterbacks I thought he looked the least impressive I mean he was you could tell yeah, he, he was had the worst day. Yeah, I mean he was comfortable rolling and getting open out of the pocket, but he always goes back to the middle and he's throwing down to the to the tight ends. He's not taking any chances. Whereas Shapin was kind of spreading the ball around. He looked really comfortable in the pocket, poised, and that was something that really stood out to me was their really their control on the field and their comfort level inside the offense. And I thought definitely. I had to give shape in the nod from that aspect. Yeah, and I have an article coming out, in more, which has more detail about why Shapin should be the starter over Jerry Bohannon. But he he just fits this offense better. This offensive line isn't gonna break down very much, and where Jerry beats him is being able to make plays when the pocket collapses. But I just don't think that's gonna happen that much this year, which which means that. Shapin's advantage with decision making and accuracy, and he gets the ball out so much earlier than Jerry. Sometimes Jerry isn't willing to take those short gains, and he holds the ball too long and tries to run around and either make plays with his legs or looks for the deep ball, and it's not there. Which sometimes he makes those plays, but that's not something that's necessary in this offense with the O line and the skill position players that Baylor has. Yeah, and Gary also looked like he didn't really have established chemistry with one wide receiver. Like last year, you knew Fortin was his guy. I mean, that, that was his number one receiver. And oftentimes, honestly, he looked his way a little too much. Um, it didn't spread the ball around. And I feel like right now he doesn't have a, a good rapport with any of these, uh, somebody like a, a receiver that he can trust and count on, where you saw with um, Shapin, that wasn't the case. I mean, he had great chemistry with Gibson, uh, he was able to get Baldwin out in space, and he, he also, was great throwing those balls to Josh Cameron. Uh, Josh Cameron really, it, it, Cameron did a good job of route running. He like was able to in the end zone. That yeah, was a perfect ball. It, 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 that's what you want to see, and and I feel here's the crazy thing too, because I feel like I even said it on here a, a week back or a couple weeks back was I didn't feel like either one of these quarterbacks would transfer out if they lost the battle. Um, 
especially Bohannon, because I felt like he's had plenty of opportunities in the past, even going back to when Charlie Brewer was here. Uh, but I honestly feel, for whatever reason, I, I just got this vibe the other day, and I could be totally wrong. I hope I'm wrong. That if Bohannon didn't win it, he probably wouldn't stick around because we saw really? Kyron Drones coming behind him. Think about it. It's his. It's Bohannon's. What his his last yeah, no, year? Yeah, no, I would I wouldn't blame him at all. Honestly, it's it's the smart decision to transfer. He's a fifth year senior. If he wants to play in the NFL, he's got to play somewhere. But here's another thing. I think that his, I think he's also a guy. If he was willing to do it and stick, and this is this is a lot of pride things for a lot of guys in these positions is he could make the transition to another position, maybe an H-back or something. I think Baylor could find a way, because he's physical. You could use his physical running abilities within that offense to be successful. Now, that's a matter of, in that, look, he could win the starting role, and that makes no damn, you know, it doesn't matter. But if he doesn't, they could use that's a very intriguing They could right use there. him in different ways, I, if he was willing to do it, in my opinion. They could, but... If you're if you're Jerry Bohannon, do you want to do that or do you want to go start somewhere else? And then if it doesn't work out, then make that transition to a different position when you go to the NFL. I feel like realistically, you need to look at yourself, look at everything, the the situation unfolding. Ask myself, do I legitimately have a chance to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL? I don't think the answer is yes, personally. And if no, that's the case. Then and you want to be in the NFL, make the adjustment now. Okay, we've seen like the, it, we've seen uh, people do it opposite. Where like Ryan Tannehill, where he was, you know, a receiver made the transition to the to the quarterback position to be successful. But I feel like a guy like who you could look at. I know T, all right Tebow for instance. That's a guy that should have played another position if he wanted to have a, a career in the NFL. And if he would have made that transition, he wasn't so good at college though. It was he's it was not easy to make that transition there. And but, he would have playoff game. In the yeah, NFL. but I feel like Bohannon, if he wanted, if he realized and said, you know, I might have a better opportunity of having a sustained career in the NFL from a different position if I make the adjustment now and get start getting early jump on getting developed, then it could benefit him in the long run. But if you say I want to play quarterback regardless and take my chance, then I can go somewhere else. I, I, I'm all for that as well. I just feel like I don't see him being a franchise quarterback in the NFL. So if he wanted to adjust now, and it would be a good opportunity to stay in Baylor. It would be a good opportunity. But the other question is, is there a spot for him to play that position? Like, is he going to get reps over a guy like Tammy Williams or Craig Williams or Jordan Jenkins? I think he would. Point. I think he would get reps over. I think you could easily fit him in. I mean, Fleeks didn't I feel really. Like there's just too many guys there that it's it's hard. I, but I feel like they have. I feel like his talent could really change that position. It could make it a lot more dangerous. Which is, and they That's might true. even do a situation. And I don't know how this would necessarily work, but because a lot of times you don't want to be using multiple quarterbacks, but I can see in a situation where like Oklahoma used to do with Blake Bell or something where you bring in two different packages. The, yeah. the, the trouble is when you bring, if you do that, people automatically know, but Bohannon is big enough and strong enough to those and red zone throw. situations. Yeah. You know, I think you could even use Well, the him. only thing is that you, you want to have one quarterback to have your team rally around. Yeah. And like, 
Baylor tried that two quarterback thing with Anu Solomon and Zach Smith, or Anu Solomon and Charlie Brewer, I think, years ago. It it didn't work out, so they they ended up sticking with with one guy. It's just it's hard to play two quarterbacks at the same time, just because of the mental makeup of the team. It is, but I also feel like you could use because they love to go to that fullback run. And, you know, they even show, you used Dylan Doyle, I believe, once yeah. at least in the spring game. Do you imagine putting Bohannon in a fullback position? That's that's intriguing. See, I mean, I just feel like if 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 he didn't win the starting role, but he didn't want to leave the the positive culture that the one thing he's known and been a part of and and bridged between coaching staffs and everything, if he wanted to stay true to it and stay at Baylor, but wasn't the starting quarterback, I feel like they have options, plenty of options because of his strength and running abilities and I'm, i mean i'm sure he could catch the ball we don't know but he played yeah. look no, here's I another mean, thing the options the options are there it's just a matter of is he willing to make that transition exactly and he played it's, it's not like he played high school ball at a big school where he was just the court i mean this dude had to do everything in high school so I, I think he's comfortable playing multiple positions and doing multiple things on the football field if asked of him yeah it's very possible we just we don't know what he's thinking, what his, where his mind's at, but it's something that could happen. It would help Baylor. Yeah, it would. It would. So I want to get somebody else's perspective on this. Josh Neighbors, the host of the Locked On Big 12 podcast, will join us next here on the Bears Illustrated podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Pernay here with you, and we are joined by Josh Neighbors, host of the Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Josh, what's up, man? How you doing? Pleasure to be here, guys. Uh, it is spring football in full swing. It feels like it's normally a downtime, but draft this week, spring games this week, a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about indeed, man. And I want to start with the Baylor quarterback battle. Uh, yesterday, Baylor had their spring, or on Saturday, Baylor had their spring game. And we knew coming in, I felt like coming into this, man, and Pernay and I were talking about how this was probably Gary Bohannon's job to lose. I mean, everything he did last year, getting really setting the table, getting them into the Big 12 championship, into that Sugar Bowl. Unfortunately, the injury happens. He isn't able to play in those games. Blake Shapin comes up, and he he does what you want from your backup. He, he, he provides a spark. Uh, he keeps things rolling, and he's able to help you get those championships the negative thing is that leads to a quarterback controversy the next year. Um, what were your overall thoughts about this battle in general heading into the season? And if you were to name a starter, who do you think Baylor's starter would be right now, Josh? So it's a really interesting quarterback battle. Um, from an outside perspective, I would say this. You know, I, I think there's a lot of love for Gary for what he did last year for the program. Um, in that season, turning it around with Dave Aranda, steadying the quarterback play. But, you know, to me, it's it's a difficult decision, but 
I think the ceiling's a bit higher with Blake Shapin. And I would say the reason why I would go to Shapin is because if your defense is going to take a step back, and I think it does a bit when you take away, you know, two really amazing players in Jalen Petrie and Terrell Bernard, like, and also there's no Abram Smith now. So what position has to step up? Well, the quarterback has to. You can't just be the kind of game manager he was last year. And I think Blake Shapin, Blake Shapin gives them a better chance to expand the offense and to create a better offense than Gary did. I know Gary, you know, did really well, but it felt like they protected him at times. And there were some games where mistakes kind of made you scratch your head. The Texas game, uh, a couple of the TCU game that, that were pretty head scratching. And, you know, um, the BYU game, it was a quality win for them, but I didn't feel like he was great in that game either. So, you know, there are some games, uh, you know, Oklahoma State game, but who didn't play bad? You know, against some some competition where I thought, look, there's a higher upside. And I thought Shapin in the first half against Oklahoma State showed the upside there. You go back and you watch the old this game, man. I mean, I know Gary was hurt, but like, it was a lot of yikes, a lot of yikes. Good player, good leader. But I think their offense has to grow this year. The defense does take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, I'd go as far as to say if Blake Shapin played the entire season last year, Baylor makes the CFP. So with that said, if Blake Shapin ends up being the starter this year, what do you see that ceiling being? Do you think they can make the college football playoff? Well, I, I think it's interesting. I, I think you're you're preparing yourself also for the following season, too, of just giving him another year of command of the offense and letting him grow a little bit because he's got a lot of time left. Um, I It's it's hard to know. we got to see what the defense looks like, who's going to emerge at running back and wide receiver also. They got a lot of holes to fill. That's why I'm saying it's more important the quarterback, you know, is is a is somebody who can make some plays. But um, yeah, I think it just gives them a better chance in that aspect. It's hard to say what the ceiling is at this point. There's still some things that have to be ironed out. Transfer portal, right? I'm trying to lay off declarations until we know who is going to be where, when. Um, but I think the offense's ceiling is. I would just say is. I think their offensive ceiling is a bit higher uh, with him at the helm than than, than uh, Gary Mahan. You bring up the transfer portal, and that's something I want to talk about because heading into this battle, I felt like neither one of the guys would leave. I felt like Bohannon, if you look at his his tenure at Baylor, obviously he's gone through coaching changes. He's been in quarterback battles going back to Bohannon. He never left. He stayed put, and he waited for his opportunity. You know, where we don't – that's a really rare in today's ball. Uh, you know, and we've seen Jacob Zeno hit the portal once uh, Bohannon took the position from him last year. If Bohannon isn't named the starter, do you see him hitting the portal or do you see a scenario where he's like, I really like the university, I like the staff, I like the culture we have here, and I know that my game can be used in other ways to help this team win because I feel like you could put him – at an H-back position, you could use him like even in a – you necessarily don't want to have a dual quarterback situation, but you could do like Oklahoma used to do with Blake Bell or you have the certain packages inside the red zone. Mm-hmm. What do you how, – how would you see Bohannon navigating that if he doesn't win the starting quarterback position? I would see him transferring just because somebody else – multiple somebodies would, would want him as a quarterback, especially all the, you know, all the talk about how good of a leader he is and – Look, you know, he did play well at times last year. So, like, there are aspects of his game that really I think a lot of schools would like to have. But, um, you know, I, I think that's something that, you know, he's obviously got to think long and hard about. But I, I would say ultimately, most likely, it's probably the right thing for him is is hitting the portal just because 
he can play quarterback in a bunch of other places and be a leader in a bunch of other places. And look, I think actually the most likely outcome this year, like, you know, I made it sound like he's some awful player. I think the most likely outcome is that he's a quarterback. I think actually he's going to be the guy because he has so much buy-in, um, you know, from a lot of the people around Baylor. So like we, we did a quarterback power rankings today, and I, I didn't side with this, but it was two people voting against one on this, that Gary Bahanna was number two in the entire conference. <laughs> so like, you know, I'm, I'm saying all these things that we're talking about transferring, but I mean, reality is a lot of people think he's a really good player and he is a really, he's a very good player. But um, so I, I think, you know, if, if that was the case, I think he'd definitely go to take, take a, a job somewhere else. And I, I wouldn't blame him at all. Yeah. I actually had him number two behind Quinn Ewers in our big 12 quarterback rankings a couple mm. weeks ago. It's interesting. Um, but let's, uh, let's transition to a bigger picture. Look at the big 12 as a whole. Where do you see Baylor fit in in the Big 12 picture, and who do you see competing for the Big 12 title? So I have I have Oklahoma. I think they're the favorite to do it. Um, I would say with their you know their turnover staff turnover short, great whatever. But there's so much so many teams taking a step back, and I think with what they replaced it with coaching wise, and then also talent wise, I think they're still in a pretty good spot. Um, I have them one. I mean Texas. There's like no excuse. This is this is amount of talent that has been seen. There's like, no lie. Uh, what'd you say? I said there's no line. Yeah, we, I mean, dude, th- this this team is like absurd with talent. Like it, yeah. it is really it is, it is absurd with talent. Um, and I think at that point you have to you have to think that you know even if it like doesn't work out fully, they'll still go eight, four, nine, and three. Um, I've got Baylor probably next right there. Them and Oklahoma State right there behind those two and. Look, Baylor feels like they have a bit more infrastructure, you know, to to compete, and they'll be right there in case somebody messes up. But um, if if they get, you know, if Oklahoma and Texas get out of their talent, what they should get out of their talent this year, or anywhere near to that, those two teams should be at the top, in my opinion. Let's talk Oklahoma, okay? Oklahoma on their spring game has damn near fifty thousand people there. Yeah. Um, I've never really seen – I've seen spring games in the past. You know, LSU has, has had some big crowds. I've, I've seen – was it Tennessee, I think, last year? Had a big, you know, contingency of fans out there. But really, it caught me off guard to see – and you see it all the time on the, the Oklahoma – the Twitter feeds for Oklahoma, whether it's Brett Venables or not, the OUDNA. You know, that's the hashtag. And I, I felt you really saw that on, on uh, Saturday with the Sooners. Do you think – that because I can't remember who said this on Twitter, but I saw this out there where it was phrased in a in a way of like Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma did more for the program than him staying, and that kind of stuck with me after seeing. I watched a little bit right. of the USC spring game. You see Oklahoma and everything. What are your thoughts on that take? So I think it's an interesting one. I I'm not some pro Oklahoma guy. Um, I think if it's coming from an Oklahoma fan, it's probably that it's a combination of things. It's, it, in the beginning, it was them talking themselves into it. But my take on it is this, is that Lincoln Riley's issue when he got Oklahoma teams to uh, up to an elite level was pretty clear. Their defense was not good enough. Their defensive line was not good enough. They were not athletic, athletic enough, fast enough, big enough, whatever. Um, and that that probably will follow him to USC unless something drastic really changes. I mean, I don't think the West Coast is known for the, the large athletes – that the Southeast has the thing Brent Venables gives you from a recruiting perspective, especially we've not seen him as a head coach yet. So I'm not going to speak to that, 
But from a recruiting perspective is at Clemson, what did he do? He won recruiting battles for those athletes against SEC schools at an ACC school. So he has got the pet. He's got that pedigree. He's got guys, you know, in his back pocket, like the terrific defensive line that they had a couple of years ago, all of those guys, he's, you can say he cultivated dudes like Cleveland Farrell, right. And got those guys mm-hmm. into the league. Um, that's going to help down the line. Now he's got to build it to that point. And I actually think OU's lucky. And so is Texas. They've got more time in the big 12 to build that stuff up as opposed to having to go to the SEC now and just go and be an eight and 14. So I think as you know, not sure he is as a head coach, but if he keeps getting dudes like Jeff Levy, and I know Baylor people know all about Jeff Levy, the only reason, look, I think there's actually a chance to keep him for a while because you have to get the Baylor stink off Jeff Levy to hire him as a head coach. If, if his pedigree was just his pedigree and there's nothing else, mm. he'd be a head coach already, but he's got that. So the coordinator role might be one where he has to stay in. If he can keep getting guys like that to come and coach offense at Oklahoma, there's no reason why he can't. They should be in pretty good shape. And so do I know for a fact? No, but I think from the idea of like, what's been Oklahoma's big problem, defensive linemen, athleticism on defense compared to LSU's to Georgia's, you know, when you stack those things up and say who could help, I think a guy like Brent Venables does help. So that, that is, that is a take that I'm fully on board with. Um, Although there's nuance to it, right? It's not just we're better right. off. Yeah. Off. We got our guy who's an OU guy. No, it's not really that for me. Who understands the program? Like, <laughs> screw that crap. Like that's not that's not I buy in. But his his pedigree, yeah, I buy into that. What separates Oklahoma from Texas for you then? Since you're saying Texas has all that talent. Well, I mean, they when have they not had talent? Uh Tom Herman seems had talent, Charlie Strong seems that has much talent, but last year they had talent and it was, you know, there was turnover. And so there's the, the problem for them is there's so much stuff they have to separate. And I, I, I like Sark. I think he's done a decent job so far. But you have the monkey stuff last year with the <laughs> monkey biting the kid. It's a story, right? Because they're bad. It's hilarious. Whatever. In the video of, of, of you know, Bo Davis, on the, on the, which I liked, of him on the bus yelling at the kids. You know, you have that going on as well. You have the, the, the rotating quarterbacks. You have the Ajomo comments this year where I actually didn't think they were bad comments. Then Sark's coming out saying, I keep that in house. When people are saying, that's probably a pretty good thing for him to be saying. You've got kids in Ijai Hall and, and, and Jaleel Billingsley, who Nick Saban called out pretty publicly about their effort and practice because he said after the championship game, there were not guys doing the things they needed to do to get prepared to be in big moments. You take those guys on. You've got the star and Quinn Ewers. And look, people say, oh, NIL. Is like, I don't think it's a problem. But like, you know, there is stuff there that publicly is being talked about. You have to manage. Every single time there's a poll, it's number six, you know, people are going to get up in arms. And there's all the cooks in the kitchen you have to deal with too. So, you know, it's almost like he said, he's had a reset on his life as a head coach, right? Like I almost separate old head coach, Steve from new head coach, Steve. So like new head coach, Steve has to learn how to manage what nobody has been able to manage since Mac Brown. That's challenge, right? As much talent as they have, that's challenge. And also I think they've got a, I don't think bringing Gary Patterson was smart because now you might have the next, DC or some people have even said this head coach in waiting mm-hmm. that people might want there. So I think there's, that's the problem is right. We talk about talent, but like there's all this other stuff on the periphery. You have to manage and you do have to manage it to be good. So that's where I think I'm going to take the more uh, solid product in Oklahoma football. Last thing I have for you, man. And I want to, it stays in Austin. And I was thinking about this the other day. And it was really going back to those comments the, about the the players wanting to be down at Sixth Street, chase money, chase girls, party, and that's always been 
you know, yeah. what that's been something that's really attracted young people, young athletes to Austin for years. I mean, it's it's part of the culture, the fabric, and that's what makes Austin unique. And I love it. But at the same time, we're seeing the city grow at a rapid pace and it's the dynamic is starting to change. It's becoming I mean, you have a professional soccer team here now. Uh, the, you have all the people coming from California. There's big money coming into Austin outside has the dynamic of it feels like it's starting to transition from that that quirky little Texas town to right. a big city where you see and I'm not saying it's LA I'm not saying it's going to become LA but what I'm saying is are are the the culture and the identity of the town starting to become where it's becoming more of a distraction for the program where we're seeing similarities to like what goes on at USC well, it's an interesting concept, like the idea of like the town being too big. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I went to a small, I'm a small college town. But I went to a, like a good sized college town, Columbia, Missouri. Um, I think you can succeed anywhere. I think, I, I think at the point now in college football, you, you really can't win anywhere, right? It's, it's just a matter of getting a group of people in the building that are focused. Um, it's, it's this brand. So recruiting nationally is not a problem for them. I think kids chase money and girls at every school, you know, that they go to. And look, they should like go, you know, as long as it's legal, like, you know, like really illegal. Like I'm fine with that stuff happening. Um, you know, people have mentioned, well, Austin's. I think, and I think the, the bigger thing here that I've heard this said, like, it's becoming more liberal, right? It's not the small college town; it's a college town, but still, it's like you know, in the south. So Tuscaloosa, yeah, it's Auburn, not Alabama, like that, yeah, you know. But I would say like Athens, Georgia is a like it's it's kind of almost an Athens, uh, Austin on a small scale. It's just like cool vibes town, you know, in the south. Like I don't think it really matters. I think as long as you you know you're able to win and play, you know they should be able to play good football because they got enough talent. That's what trumps everything else. And I you know people mention well the attendance is down is it because people are not, like no if you win games I promise they will pack DKR they will win you know if, if you build a winner people will come and watch you play no matter where you are. So I think there's an idea that Austin's transitioning in demographics, whatever, but like the recruiting would not say that that's turned off kids to it. Um, and I don't think their performance necessarily in the field is tied to that. Well, I'm not saying that it's turning no, kids off. What I'm saying is like, there's more distracting. Yeah, dude, there's so much distraction. I mean, there was so much distraction behind the 04 USC team too. Right. There's, you know, it, it, you know, I mean, Snoop Dogg and Will Ferrell at every single one of your games, those guys still won were able to win. So I think, I mean, as long as you've got like the right mindset and you've got enough talent, that's really the big thing is can you coach talent well enough in the football field to win? Those guys aren't ruining their lives off the field. You should be in pretty good shape. I think at least with me. Do you think these new NIL opportunities, these new NIL opportunities will impact that ability to win anywhere? Cause we saw, we saw like Tyrese Hunter transfer from Iowa state, Nigel Pack take a big deal leaving Kansas state. So what do you think that does to some of these big 12 teams? Um, it presents new opportunities for sure, right? It, it allows people, yeah, to, to, you know, to allow these athletes to, to be compensated for the damage like this. It should. Um, I I think the basketball side of it, I don't, you know, I'm not sure, let me wrong, but I don't think the kids are chasing as much money. Now, in Tyrese Hunter's case, Jamie Pollard did say explicitly, like, if you're looking for X amount of dollars a year, like, this might not be the place for you. Okay. Um, which is a very fair thing to say. So, but also not a very smart thing to say, in my opinion, too. I think you should probably not say stuff like that. Uh, it gives them more opportunities, but like you're seeing the school, like like Tennessee, 
you know, which hasn't been good, but like still it's a massive school, right? It's a massive, mm-hmm. massive state university in the South. Like they've got their stuff together. Oregon's got their stuff together for NIL. You know, USC will. The same brands will have it together because if people care about those brands, they'll be able to compensate those guys. But I do think it presents opportunities for guys who might, you know, let's just say Gary Bohannon, right? Enjoys his time in Waco, has opportunities in Waco. People respect him in Waco. And he says, hey, I like it here. I'm going to make a little money here. Why don't I go somewhere else? Like this team would help win. I think you might see a few more of those guys who are just like, I like it here. I like it where I am. I am. I will say also, it might keep your Oscar Shibways in college a bit longer or Armando Baycott's in college a bit longer, right? Uh, you know, because Armando Baycott, Oscar Shibway right now are 20 something year old guys who NBA teams would say, hey, one year later, I don't want you as the same you you might be, you know. Uh, but, you know, and so they might go to the draft. Now they can say, all right, I can stay at UNC or Kentucky. I can make some money while I'm here too. I, you know, the, the Sheway numbers have been out there around where they're at. Um, and I like it here. And also we get to keep great players in college basketball now, which is which is really good too. So I think it's a win-win in that respect. You know, some guys who are good college players won't feel the pressure to jump to the NBA because it's like, all right, I'm, I don't want to be one year older, which is usually a downside when they draft you. Josh, yeah, that's a gr- go ahead, Pernay. I say that's a great point. Or, or go to the G League instead of coming to college right. in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Um, Garrett, do you have another question? No, go ahead. So last question here, who's your sleeper team in the Big 12 for football? What team do you think could make a run at the Big 12 title? Uh, I will go to sleeper teams. Like, is this outside, like, the big four of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State? Um, yeah, like, outside your top five, I guess. So, I'm not a Adrian Martinez guy at all. Um, I would say Thank Kansas you. State, though, just because of the way they play. I, I don't think he's very good. But the number they, they have, like, their entire offensive weapon set returning. So, if he can stop fumbling at it, like, an alarmingly ridiculous yeah. rate, he'd be good. Cause, so, here's the thing about Kansas State. Like, they, they play a style – where they limit the number of possessions in a game, right? Because they're, you know, they ran the, they actually had a relatively explosive offense last year, um, but they had one of the slowest paces in all of FBS. When you do that, that means you have, you have to take advantage of your opportunities. You cannot be squandering possessions. So that's the thing. You know, some people might say, hey, uh, it's less possessions, less, less opportunities to turn the ball over. I would say you might turn the ball over in less opportunities, which could be disastrous if you keep the same rate up and you have less opportunities to score. So I think that's that's going to be the 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 big the, the catch twenty two for them. I like their offense. I like Malik Knowles. Uh, you know, I like the, you know, who doesn't love Deuce Vaughn. Oh yeah, and they bring back some experienced tight end as well too. They should be pretty. And I like Colin Klein a lot. I think he's a really smart coordinator, good player. He was an really awesome player too. So it's just going to depend on like how well does he fit in there. Um, and and I'm curious to see that. So I think that's a team like maybe not make the title game, but if, if it's two weeks left in the season, it's like right, they still have a shot. I wouldn't be surprised. That's my team, Kansas State. But I'm not. That doesn't mean I'm just like super high on. Josh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can find the Locked On Big Twelve podcast. Yeah, you guys can find the show uh, wherever you guys get your podcast and on YouTube as well. You guys can find us at Lo Big Twelve on Twitter, and you guys can find me at Josh Neighbors underscore. All right, Josh, we appreciate you, and we'll catch up with you later, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, there he goes. That's Josh Neighbors. That's all the time we have today. We appreciate you listening to the Bears Illustrated podcast.